0: You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Let's continue in our time of worship by opening God's Word together. If you have your copy of God's Word, grab that and go with me to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. You'll find stacks of Bibles on those tables in the back of the room. You can take one of those now and use it to follow along with us today. And on your way into worship this morning, we also hope that you grab those communion elements. We will be celebrating communion uh, after the message this morning. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for His people, so listen carefully to these words, God's words, recorded in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This Advent season, we are focusing on the theme of forgiveness. At the very core of Christmas is this theme, forgiveness. Why we need it, where to find it, coming to rest in it, and then extending it to others. Last Sunday, the first Sunday of the Advent season, we established our need for forgiveness. And we did so by going all the way back to the beginning of the biblical story in Genesis 3. We looked at Adam and Eve's fall into sin and our fall. Adam and Eve are at the headwaters of the human race. If you dump Toxic chemicals at the headwaters. It doesn't affect just that one place. Eventually, the pollution washes all the way downstream. And so what that means is that spiritually speaking, all of us as descendants of Adam and Eve, all of us are in the exact same spiritual position. We're all guilty. See, it doesn't matter if you're a minister or a murderer it doesn't matter if you sing in the choir or in a topless bar we are all equally guilty equally condemned every person is under the power of sin and not just every person but every part of every person we are sinners by condition by nature and choice. our sinful actions flow out of a sinful heart we learned that last week Martin Luther the great reformer put it like this sin is in us like our beard I'm shaved today and I look clean but tomorrow my beard has grown again have you seen the Santa Claus the original one with Tim Allen you remember the scene where he shaves and immediately the beard comes right back that's sin that's sin It's the heart that is sinful. Our actions flow out of a condition and with this sinful heart, with this sinful condition, what can we do? And the answer is nothing. We are incapable of fixing the situation. We cannot help ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. See, if sin is simply an action, then I just try really, really hard to stop. But if sin is a condition of the heart, I'm stuck and so are you. Forgiveness of sin, transformation of the sinner, it must come from beyond us. It must come from above. Today, we've established the fact that we are sinners, that we are in need of forgiveness. Today, we're going to discover where to find forgiveness. I have just one single claim to defend today. I'll state it here at the outset unflinchingly. Jesus is the only one who can deal with the problem of our sin. Now let's make it more personal. Jesus is the only one who can deal with the problem of your sin. I want us to explore that claim today. Now maybe you came to Faith Church this morning already fully convinced of that. This is going to be a refresher for you. Your heart will be warmed, I hope, by the power of God's word this morning. Maybe you came today and you're not fully convinced. You're sort of curious, not yet sure what you believe, but you're interested in learning more. I'm glad you're here. Faith Church is the right place for you. Or perhaps you're here this morning, and to be honest, you really don't want to be. Someone practically drags you here, And you're pretty closed to all of this religion stuff. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I don't like a lot of what goes by the name religion these days either. So we have a lot in common. But here's what I want to do today. I want to set aside all the clutter. I want to set aside all the peripheral matters and get to the person that is at the very heart of Christianity. Jesus of Nazareth undeniably, is the most famous, most influential person in world history. How is it that some 2000 years after he walked the earth, there are some two billion people who claim to be his followers. How does a person become that popular, that influential? How does a person establish such a following? Who is he and what did he do? Let's turn to Matthew 1, this classic Christmas text, and there we will find our answers. Simple yet profound this morning, I want us to look at this passage and break it down into three parts. Jesus's humanity, his divinity, and his ministry. His humanity, his divinity, his ministry. We must understand each of these and we must see how they fit together first. Jesus' humanity. Our story begins in Matthew 1, verse 18, just the first part of the verse. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Any serious consideration of Jesus must begin with the question Who is he? What is his identity? And our text answers the question He is human. He's human. Now, we can be brief on this point because, well, it's obvious. Jesus was born in the same way that you and I were born. Jesus is human, just as you and I are human. He had parents, Mary and Joseph. He had a hometown, Nazareth. He had brothers. He ate and drank. At times, he was weary. He felt pain. He cried tears of sadness. Jesus knew what it was like to experience joy and sadness. Jesus knew what it was like to experience anger. We know very little about Jesus' upbringing, his home life. We don't really know what he was like as a toddler, when he learned to walk and talk. We don't really know what he was like as a preteen. How he dealt with puberty. We don't know how old he was when he started shaving. How bad his shoes smelled. We don't know what size shoe he wore. Now I say all of this, I share all of these details to help you get the point. Jesus is human. Just like you and I. He is like us in every way save one. The Bible teaches us that Jesus never sinned now in hearing that if you're listening carefully and if you recall what we learned last week then you should have some questions because last week I showed you from Genesis that all humans are sinners every single one of us sons and Adam of Adam daughters of Eve we are sinners by condition by nature and choice and now here I am telling you that Jesus is human and yet he was without sin how can that be? the answer is Jesus is human but he's not merely human he's not merely human we must also consider his divinity keep reading in the same verse verse 18 now the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Who is Jesus, what is his identity? He's man, he's human, like us, but he must be more. He must be more because this is no ordinary birth. Jesus is not born by the normal process of procreation. This is a virginal conception. Before Joseph and Mary come together, she is found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is the direct, creative intervention of God. It's a virginal conception. Now, the virginal conception is important for three reasons. First, as I've already suggested, it reveals the uniqueness of Jesus. Jesus is like us, and yet he's unlike us. Matthew's gospel will go on to say, This is Emmanuel, God with us. No one has ever been born this way before because no one is like this child. It shows how unique he is. This is God coming to us. Secondly, the virginal conception is important because it reiterates the seriousness of our sin. If salvation will come, it cannot come. From us. It cannot come by our power or by our processes. It must come from beyond us. It must come from above. But third and finally, the virginal conception is important because it explains how Jesus can be human and yet without sin. We are sinners by condition, by nature. Why? Because we're descendants of Adam and Eve. Because our first father, Adam, was a sinner. Jesus doesn't have a human father. And that means that the line of descendants from Adam is temporarily interrupted. Jesus does not come from Adam in the same way that all of us do. And yet he is fully human. But this is how he can be fully human and without sin. This is how he can obey where we have disobeyed. This is how he can come to do everything necessary to save us. See, when you understand who Jesus is, that he is fully human and yet he's fully God, when you understand this, then you begin to see why he is the only one who can deal with the problem of our sin. Why he's the only one who can save us. It's because he's the God-man and he's the only God-man. If Jesus had not been fully human, then it would not be God reaching down all the way to humanity to save us. And if he had not been fully God, then he might have reached us, but he wouldn't have had the power to retrieve us out of the chasm of sin into which we've fallen. The humanity of Jesus is the guarantee that Jesus is doing something in humanity, for humanity. And the divinity of Jesus is the guarantee that what he is doing is not hollow. It's not empty. He comes with the power of God. See, here's the rub. If Jesus is not God, then he can't save you. If Jesus is not God, then he can't forgive your sin and mine. All sin ultimately is against God therefore only God can act to forgive us. What is sin? In one word, it's substitution. We saw this last week in Genesis three. Sin is substitution. It is man substituting himself for God. Adam and Eve assert themselves against God, put themselves in God's place. What did they say? We will rebel. We will go our own way. We will be our own gods. All sin ultimately is against God. And therefore, only God can act to forgive us. Here's an illustration. My son Aiden is almost old enough to start learning how to drive. It's a bit of a frightening thought. If Aiden, before he turns 16, in an act of sheer rebellion, takes my truck for himself and wrecks it, then he cannot go to one of his youth group leaders and ask for their forgiveness. And why not? Because it's not their truck that he stole. Because it's not their transgression, their uh, commandment that he transgressed. Because it's not their heart that he broke. It's my son. It's my truck. Aiden has to come to me. Don't you see? All of our sin is against God. It's his heart that we've broken. Only God can act to forgive us. If Jesus is not God, he cannot save you. He cannot forgive you. But thank God, he is God. He's fully human and he's fully divine. And he comes to do everything necessary to save us, to fix everything that was broken in the beginning. How does he do it? Third and finally, we must consider his ministry, his humanity, his divinity, and his ministry, which is summed up for us here in verse 21 in the words that the angel says to Joseph regarding Mary. Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is Jesus' ministry. This is his purpose, this is what he came to do, to save his people from their sins. And how does he do it? As we read in Matthew's Gospel, we see that the culmination of Jesus' ministry is his death on the cross and his resurrection. In Matthew 26, when Jesus gathers for the Passover meal with his disciples, he takes the cup and he said, this, he says, this cup represents my blood which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Now why is it that our forgiveness should depend on the blood of Jesus? Why can't God just forgive us without the cross? Couldn't he have done so? And actually, the answer is no. No, he couldn't. So there's one thing God can't do. The Bible is very clear on this point. There's one thing God cannot do. He cannot disregard or contradict his own character, his own nature. Now, the Bible teaches us that God is holy and he is just And that means that he is utterly separate from sin and evil, and he must treat all sin as sin. He cannot simply shrug it off or sweep it under the rug, pretend like it never happened, that wouldn't be just. And God must behave in a way that is just. This explains why Jesus had to come, and why Jesus had to die. We have to see how serious this is. Let me give you another illustration. This will help, I think. Let's pretend that I'm having some financial problems. So I go to a friend, a pretty good friend of mine, and I tell him I need to borrow $10,000. Now, this is a good friend. He's a generous man. So he says, okay, you can borrow it so long as you pay it back by this deadline. And I agree to that. But then the deadline comes, and I can't pay it. But my brother, generous man that he is, he steps in and he pays the debt for me. Now in that scenario, all is well, right? All is well. But now let's change things up a bit, make it more complicated. I'm in financial trouble and I go to my same friend and I say I need to borrow $10,000, but this time the friend says no. So I decide to take it for myself. I decide to assert myself against him. I break into his house and I take what I need. The problem is I'm a lousy thief and I leave my fingerprints everywhere. So the police find me and they arrest me. But by this time, I've already spent the $10,000 so I can't possibly give it back. My brother, once again, generous man that he is, he steps in and he offers to pay the debt for me. But in this scenario, all is not well, is it? It's not well because in this scenario, it's not just a debt that I have incurred, it's a crime that I've committed. It's a punishable offense. See, when the Bible says that we are all sinners, it means that we have committed crimes against God. Punishable offenses. And the punishment we deserve is death both physical death and spiritual death, separation from God. Jesus came to take that punishment for us, the punishment that should be ours for the crimes that we have committed. This is why his blood is spilled. This is why he goes to the cross so that the holy God can still be called holy and just because sin has been dealt with the sin crimes have been punished and yet at the same time you and I can be pardoned we can be forgiven because Jesus has died in our place you see Jesus has done everything necessary to save you you whoever you are whatever you have done you can be forgiven you can be forgiven You don't have to punish yourself. Jesus has accepted the punishment for you. You'll find forgiveness in him. But again, if you're listening carefully, there's one problem we haven't yet dealt with. I argued last week from Genesis 3 that our problem is not merely sinful actions, but a sinful condition, a sinful heart which means we, we need forgiveness for the wrongs we have committed, but we also need transformation. We need change within us. Jesus accomplishes that as well. I bet you know the most famous verse of the Bible, John three sixteen, "'For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son "'that whoever believes in him shall not perish "'but have eternal life.'" I bet most of you know that verse, but I wonder if you know the story that precedes it. Let me summarize it for you in closing. A man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus. It's a dark and stormy night. Very dramatic situation, right? Nicodemus comes to Jesus with questions. He wants to know who Jesus is and how he's able to do the things that he can do. And Jesus seizes this opportunity to teach Nicodemus about who he is. But first, Nicodemus must understand who he is. Nicodemus is a man in need of inner transformation. Jesus says to him, you must be born again. Now in hearing this, Nicodemus is very confused. He thinks Jesus is talking about physical birth. And so he's thinking to himself, I'm already alive. How could I possibly be physically born again? So Jesus clarifies, no, 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 Nicodemus. You need to be brought to life spiritually. You need inner transformation just like all sons of Adam just like all daughters of Eve your heart is sinful Nicodemus you need a new one you need change from within and then Jesus tells Nicodemus and us how to find this inner transformation he sums it up in two verses in John 3 John 3, 14 and 15, Jesus says this, his final words to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man, Jesus, be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now to understand what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus and us, we have to go back to a very strange story in the Old Testament. It's recorded in the book of Numbers. It's the story Jesus references here. God's people were traveling through the desert. God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He had shown his presence and power and faithfulness, but the desert can wreak havoc on the human body. And in this case, the desert wreaked wreaked havoc on their souls and a sort of theological amnesia began to set in and they forgot They forgot God's faithfulness, and they started to complain against Moses and to complain against God himself. So here's what God did. God sent fiery serpents, poisonous snakes everywhere. And the appearance of the snakes, it snaps the people out of this theological amnesia that had set in. Suddenly they began to remember God's faithfulness, his power. And so they cry out, we have sinned. Moses, pray to God that he would take away these fiery serpents. And so Moses prays. And God provides a path of healing, albeit a very strange one. God's instructions to Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to build a bronze statue of a serpent Put it on a pole in the middle of the camp and raise it high. And when you raise that bronze serpent high, any person who has been bitten by the poisonous snakes, if they will simply come and look at the bronze serpent, they will be healed. Why is it strange? It's strange because the very instrument of death, the serpent, the very instrument of death becomes the antidote for the poison. Now in its original context, this is a story about God's faithfulness and His presence with His people, but here in John 3, Jesus shows us that there's a deeper meaning to this story. Here Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus, so must Jesus be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Now, God has provided a path to healing, albeit a strange one, because once again, the instrument of death, the cross, the cross, has become the antidote for the poison of sin that is within us. If we will look to Jesus, who has been raised up on the cross, if we will look to him, all the poison within us will be sucked out. Jesus is the one with the power to transform us internally, to change our sinful hearts by the power of his spirit. He can change everything about you. He can change your marriage. He can change your relationship with your children and your grandchildren. He can change the way you interact with your coworkers. He can even change the way you think about yourself. Friends, don't you see, Jesus is the only one. He's the only one with the power to heal your heart. He's the only one with the power to heal the broken relationship between you and your creator. He's done everything for you. The God-man, if you will only look to him, he's been raised up. He's been raised up on the cross. If you will only look to him with faith, You will be forgiven of all your sin. He will be transformed from within your life. Oh, it will never be the same again. Will you look to him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. For who he is, fully human, fully divine. The one and only God man thank you for what he came to do for us. Willingly, he stepped into our place, bore our penalty, our punishment, all because he loves us that much. Father, all because you love us that much. If there's anyone here today who came with doubts, uncertainties perhaps even came with a combative spirit closed to Christianity and all that they thought it meant Oh God I pray that you would break through to them today that as the gospel has been preached that even now you are giving the gift of new life, giving the gift of faith, drawing people to yourself changing hearts changing lives. For those of us who are believers, oh God, thank you for this wonderful reminder of the gospel message. That it is not about the way we live trying to earn your favor in some way. We can't possibly do that. And the good news is we don't even have to try because Jesus has accomplished everything for us so help us now to live as followers of Christ to live lives of faith and repentance confessing our sins when we fail Lord, we do that now we come before you confessing that we have not loved you with our whole hearts we have not loved our neighbors the way you teach us to love For the things we have done and the things we have left undone, for our sinful thoughts, words, and deeds, Father, we ask for your forgiveness. And we take refuge in that wonderful promise of your word that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us, all because the price has been paid. Jesus and Jesus alone paid it all. All to him. All to him we owe. In his name we pray. Amen.